Uh, Leeds United esta de capa caída. Leeds United are struggling. Perdieron 7 a 0 contra el Manchester City y están luchando por no bajar. They lost 7-0 to Manchester City and are in the relegation battle. Marcelo Bielsa parece estar enfadado, pero de todos modos siempre parece estar enfadado. Marcelo Bielsa seems angry, but then he always seems a bit angry. Soy Kevin Hatchard y estás en El Football Only Better. We'll have a Spanish Inquisition about Leeds United's form in a bit. But first, we've had the Champions League draw, which was so much fun, we had it twice. Our trader extraordinaire, Jason Murphy, is back in the lineup. Jason, there are some fascinating ties here. For those listeners who haven't seen the draw, Liverpool will play into Manchester City up against Sporting, Manchester United against Atletico Madrid, Lille against Chelsea. Bayern will take on Salzburg. It's Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid. Juventus against Unai Emery's Villarreal and Benfica up against Ajax. So, Jason, what's that done to the outright market and what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm going to give you three tips. I'll give you one short, one middle and one big. And the three tips I'm putting up are three teams that benefit massively from the redraw. Um, look, Man City were favourites against anyone that they would have got but the fact that they're not playing Villarreal and they're not playing Sporting is a slightly easier tie you can back them at 4.0 on the exchange and they're about 1 to 8 1.12 to qualify against Sporting so they're into a 5 to 2 shot in the last day of the competition they're the best team there so having a bit of Man City if you're looking to trade the outright the knockout stages getting a bit of Man City on side now at that price I think is a very good shout uh, the next one then is Ajax the had Inter Milan got the redraw and now they've got Benfica and that's a massive massive difference they're now into about one to three to qualify against Benfica on the exchange if you want to just back them outright you can get about 16.0 there is prices out there of 14 to 1 that you can back each way uh, to give a bit of context on on Ajax obviously you know who to play in the groups does depend the kind of output that they can get but Ajax's XG goal difference per 90 coming out of group stages is the second best in the competition, just slightly behind um, Bayern and then Man City, I think, are third. Uh, to give that a bit more context, uh, Ajax were about plus 1.65 XG goal difference per 90 at, at this high level is, is phenomenal, whereas Liverpool in a more difficult group were only half that. So Ajax, given what they've played, have really performed really, really well. Given they're a 1-3 shot to qualify, you're on like... You know, they're three times the price of Man City and Bayern Munich now, but you expect them to get into the quarterfinals. And at that stage, it's an open draw. City could draw Bayern. Ajax, each way of value, definitely at 14-1. to 1. And then the big punts, you know, it's always nice to have one of these, just see how it goes, is Villarreal. Absolutely massively benefited from the redraw. Had drawn Man City, but I've actually got a winnable game now against Juventus. They're about 6-4 to four to come through that. Now, you... Look, on the Betfair exchange, you can back them at 160. We'll always advise punters, you know, shop around. I have to say that. We'll, we'll always steer you right. There is 200 to 1 out there with some bookmakers that you can back each way. If they come get true against Juventus, you're on an 80 to 1 shot in the quarterfinals on a team that won a European trophy last season. So that's that's a really fun bet at that price. And I think Juventus are still being priced a little bit under name alone there. 
Uh, and the last bit of advice I'd give you is just avoid United, avoid United at all costs and actually have a look at Atletico Madrid 11-8 to qualify. I don't think Atletico can go all the way, but 11-8 to qualify against United. I'd nearly have them favourites if, if, if you're talking about best 11s and, and both teams produce what they're capable of. Atletico, I can't have them 11-8 against United in a two-legged knockout. I'm excited about the Champions League now. We've got to wait months. Oh, that's, uh, I don't know whether that's uh, delighted me or upset me. Uh, betting guru Mark O'Hare has been down in the bet cave, as always, seeking out the best bets. Uh, Mark, what's your takeaway from the draw? Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't too uh, enamoured by many of the, the ties, to be honest. I was hoping for a few more spicier fixtures. Um, Chelsea obviously got the, the best luck of the draw, finishing second in the group and managing to to get Lille twice, uh, which is, uh, you know, the stars are certainly aligning in their favour. And I'm surprised to see that they're around 9.0 still to win outright. I know they've had their troubles recently, particularly from a defensive aspect, but I think injuries have contributed to that. And we've talked about their, their strength and squad depth and hasn't necessarily helped them in recent weeks. But uh, I think come February, March time, uh, if they can get through that tie, which they really should do against Lil, as Jason says, it's last day to open draw. You never know what might happen or who might draw each other. So um, I'm surprised that they've kind of drifted out to that price in, in the last couple of months. But uh, yeah, I kind of, the last time we talked about the Champions League, I was I was quite sort of positive about United's chances at the prices. Uh, now Jason's obviously ripped up that completely with the with his uh, assessment of the Atletico Madrid tie. And I have to agree, really, um, I was hoping for a better tie for, for United. I think that's a really difficult one to, to overcome. You don't want to draw Atletico over two legs I don't think they're they're one of those teams that are just going to make life difficult uh, for you whether they play you at uh, Old Trafford or in Madrid so um, yeah I mean my opinion's not massively changed um, I did like Ajax I think it's a great draw but the price outright has been chipped in and Jason's made a, a good case there otherwise but uh, yeah I mean to be honest it's just kind of as you were really for me Real Madrid were the other one a uh, big price so I was interested in but they've drawn PSG which is very very difficult as well so I'm kind of just leaving it alone for now just in case you don't know, by the way, and we're talking about draws being made twice, UEFA hilariously messed up the draw earlier this week. And so we had to have it redrawn entirely uh, because uh, they firstly drew a tie that couldn't happen between Manchester United and Villarreal, who were in the same group earlier in the competition. And then they forgot to put Manchester United back in and put Liverpool in instead. It was all a bit of a shambles. Uh, odds compiler Mark Stinchcom rounds off our terrific trio today. Uh, Stinch, has the draw changed the overall picture in your view? I was thinking about Liverpool because Liverpool got Salzburg initially. Now they've got Inter. And I know Liverpool are favourites to win that tie. I get that for, for many, many reasons. But you look at the way Inter are playing right now in Serie A, that's not going to be easy over two legs. No, but maybe a good place to start here is how the prices have moved in the in the games themselves because um, it's quite frustrating as a as a trader to have to price up two sets of matches um, you know you spend all the work doing the uh, the prices for the first draw and then uh, it's completely redundant so that was quite frustrating but on the flip side you know that sort of extra work gate you know gave some angles that perhaps you wouldn't have uncovered so yeah definitely there's a few interesting spots so you mentioned interview Liverpool Liverpool opened up at odds against um, around about uh, 11 to 10, 6 to 5. They're now odds on. So already you can see where the, the market is heading. I think it doesn't really matter who Liverpool come up against, bar probably Man City, Chelsea and Bayern, I would say they'll, they will be 
they would be favourites over two legs. Um, so I don't think it's any surprise to see where they're going against an inter side, obviously um, no longer without Lukaku compared to last season. Uh, Man City opened up around about uh, twos on, one to two, now into one to three, um, which you, you could say is no surprise. But again, you know, we are into the, the knockouts now, so it's not as if these teams are a cannon fodder and, you know, that to get through six, six rounds to get here. Um, Ajax are uh, evens to beat Benfica. Had them had them a lot bigger. Had them around about five to four. They're a shorter price to beat Benfica than they were to beat Sporting. And Benfica played Sporting a couple of weeks ago, and Benfica were the even money favourites. So Ajax look a little bit short there. Um, but I think Jason made a good point that uh, you know if you want to get Ajax on side, it's probably better to have a look into the outrights. And um, yeah, I mean, finally, like. PSG 10 to 11 against Madrid. Is there anywhere, anyone out there back in PSG odds on home to Madrid? You know, it's, you mentioned we've got to wait months, but actually it's, it's less than two months, Kev. So uh, we, we have, we'll enjoy Christmas. <laughs> we'll enjoy the new year. We'll have the January transfer window. Then boom, we'll be into the Champions League. That's going to be great fun. It's a really interesting point you make about Paris because you look around Madrid and the way they're playing right now, they seem like a much more cohesive unit than Paris do. Paris have the individuals maybe, uh, but certainly Real Madrid uh, looking like a very balanced team at the moment. Jason, I'm a massive fan of the Europa League and to see the ties come out in the playoff round that came out, things like Napoli, Barcelona, the Diego Maradona derby, things like that, some extraordinary ties. Real Sociedad against Leipzig. There's some great fun in there. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting competition. Well-known team names, and I'm going to talk about just two Spanish teams and quickly touch on them. Given how competitive the top four is now in in La Liga, Real Madrid have have opened up quite a gap there, and attention might turn away from chasing them down and just making sure you consolidate a top four place. And you have Real Sociedad, you have Barcelona, you have Sevilla. All that, if they're struggling to make that top four, will give their attention to this competition. Uh, the two tips I'd give you post a draw, one to back, one to avoid. Uh, Sevilla, there's about eight to one out there. You will get it at 9.4 on the Betfair Exchange and they're going to come through against Dynamo Zagreb. And the final is also in Seville. So maybe people haven't copped onto that yet and therefore, you know, home advantage in a final, assuming to get there is massive. So therefore, I'd have a look at Seville at the current prices. And the one to avoid, again, will advise, advise punters to shop around. Some bookmakers are offering seven to one on Barcelona. I wouldn't touch it. I personally, I wouldn't. Yeah. Fantastic generation coming through there now of young players that are 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. If they can keep them at the club and don't have to sell them, yes, Barcelona then are heading in the right direction. But for this Europa League, it's it's going to be difficult. Napoli's the last tie they would have wanted to get in the draw. Uh, if you think we're wrong, you will get them best price on the Betfair Exchange at 9.6. Uh, but my advice is, is if you're backing a Spanish team, have a look at Sevilla. Couldn't agree more. I think that Napoli tie is extremely difficult. Uh, so to the Premier League then, and Leeds United shredded 7-0 at Manchester City in midweek, having suffered a heartbreaking 3-2 loss to Chelsea in the previous game, courtesy of a penalty deep into stoppage time. Leeds have now won just three of their 17 Premier League games this season, and they are in relegation danger. Mark, I know they've had lots of personnel issues. Do you think Bielsa's is under any kind of pressure there? Uh, I don't think so. Not from the supporters. Um, but, you know, 
I'd like to say his hands have been tied with the injuries, but it's his own worst doing really to, to keep this kind of small squad because when they do get injuries, you know, they are massively stretched and they're operating off the fourth lowest budget in the Premier League. So already, you know, finances aren't really stretching too far. So when they do get uh, a bunch of injuries, I think they've had seven or eight players missing in the last couple of weeks, it, it leaves them massively lacking. Um, but I think there's a, a mixture of factors which have probably played into uh, Leeds' kind of uh, regression from last season, one of which which we can't really quantify really, but is the second season syndrome. Um, very difficult to kind of put that into figures or, or context really, but it does tend to be a thing. And it's been a quirk for numerous kind of newly promoted clubs to overcome who have had a, a great first season and then kind of regressed thereafter. But what do you United think that is, Mark? Do you think it's a bit of complacency, a bit of opposition working them out to some extent? What do you think that is? I guess in some cases, not necessarily Leeds, but I guess in some cases, if you have a team that comes up and does well, they're going to lose some key players to some of the bigger hitters in the division. I guess it's a combination of factors, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Uh, everything you've just mentioned there, the surprise factor as well, that, that will have gone. The momentum that brings promotion, you know, after a summer after, suddenly expectation levels increase and the mood around each club kind of changes a little bit. But we saw it with Sheffield United recently, uh, kind of goes all the way back to, our, I think it was Ipswich, Ipswich who finished fifth uh, with Marcus Stewart scoring loads of goals. Didn't they get relegated the season after? That was uh, quite a long time ago now, but you know, there's been loads and loads of different Marcus cases. Marcus Stewart, there's one for the teenagers. <laughs> what a reference that is <laughs> I think it was Marcus Stewart wasn't it, it was yeah, front yeah it was it was um under uh, George Burley um, but uh, yeah they, uh, there's Reading as well you know loads and loads of different instances where this has happened um, but obviously the, the most obvious one is injuries um, they've got a small squad uh, they've played um 15 Premier League games, but I think only four players have sorry, only four players have started at least 15 games. Last season they had five players who started a minimum 33 Premier League games. Eight players started at least 28 games. Uh, so there was a real sort of consistency in selection last season, which hasn't been there this time around. You look at the key players who have been missing. Patrick Bamford's only made five starts. Absolutely vital last season. Was running really hot in terms of his goals output. Calvin Phillips has missed five games. It's been well documented how Leeds' loss rate increases and, and win rates dramatically drops without him. Luke Ayling, who's kind of a real versatile member of that back four, he's already missed nine games this season. He was ever present last year. So, you know, there's been loads and loads of issues at centre-back for Bielsa to deal with. Um, Cooper, Koch, Lorente, Stroik all been injured, unavailable, ill, Ayling as well. Um, so, you know, you're looking towards Rafinha in the final third to a bit of a uh, bit of genius, really, or, you know, who else are you looking towards? And uh, I think their goal output has, has been pretty poor. They've only scored 17 times in 17 games. At the same stage last season, Leeds scored 30 goals and they'd scored three or more goals on five occasions. So um, clearly there's issues in both boxes that need to be addressed. It's not a, a fitness thing or an intensity thing because you look at the, the PPDA rankings, they're still ranking top in terms of effort levels. But uh, I just think... The squad is being massively stretched at the moment. And when you're offer, operating off such a, a small budget and small squad, take out half a dozen players, you're going to be stretched regardless. But yeah, I don't want to go overboard on Leeds. I still think they'll be okay. They're definitely in the relegation mix right now. And suddenly, you know, if they get a couple of these players back fit and available, things could be different. But, um, you know, clearly losing 7-0 to Man City is a bit embarrassing. But as you say, look back a week ago, uh, they almost got a point from Stamford Bridge. So, you know, we don't want to be reading too much into just one result where they get battered by probably the, the league champions. 
Just on that PPDA, by the way, we do use some jargon on the show. Uh, I know uh, many of you listeners know about this stuff anyway, but it's passes per defensive action. It's basically a metric of how often and how quickly teams are disrupting the opposition. And that's what Leeds tend to do uh, with the energetic way in which they play. I think I've explained that. Correctly, I'm sure Mark and Jason and Stinch will tell me if I haven't. Uh, Jason, Leeds face inform Arsenal this Saturday. Arsenal, the favourites away from home on the exchange at 2.12. So where's the value here? Obviously, Arsenal had all that drama with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, stripped him of the captaincy. I thought they played very well against West Ham. Probably one of their best performances under Mikel Arteta, regardless of the controversy around the Soufal sending off and penalty. So where are we at with this one? Yeah, the, the tip I'm going to land on when we talk through it is we're going to say that Arsenal at about 2.12, it'll, it'll probably be a bet and, and hopefully you'll agree with the rationale after we've gone through it. Um, first of all, it, you can't see an overreaction both ways, like Leeds after getting hammered the other night. You know, if Bielsa could make changes, he probably should, but he can't. Whereas Arsenal are now flavour of the month uh, and probably rightly so that they have improved and they're getting the results to back it up. And normally when you see an overreaction both ways what would happen there is you'd see Arsenal maybe being a bit short but I don't think the overreaction has happened here um, if if we break it down again going back to our basic ratings if you have two teams that are evenly matched playing at a neutral venue the price is 7-4 to four on both teams you give one team home advantage that cuts it into about 6-5 to five, so 11-10 to 10. Leeds with home advantage would be would come in that much but Arsenal are about Point five of a goal better than what Leeds are, so that brings your eleven to ten, six to five, back to about thirteen to eight. It's not, it's better than home advantage. Arsenal are about half a goal better, so that's kind of where we're sitting at. We're now saying thirteen to eight, given that Arsenal are that much better than Leeds, but Leeds have home advantage. Now let's start looking at the team news. So Aubameyang, I had been adjusting for him being out, not as much as I would have two years ago. But based on what we've seen the last week, there's no adjustment now. I don't think Aubameyang gets in the Arsenal best 11 or isn't. You know, if Arteta picks his best 11 now, if Aubameyang isn't in it, I don't think we need to adjust Arsenal's chances of winning the game. Whereas if you look at Leeds, I put down my Leeds best 11 and I reckon there's about five players that are missing from that starting 11 for this game. And we start to adjust for them at an individual level. Uh, Some of the obvious ones, Phillips, massive, let's say, Conservative, if we make point one of a goal adjustment for that, we're starting to move that Arsenal 13 to 8. We're starting to reduce it. If you look at Patrick Bamford, again, conservative, if we say point two of a goal, um, his replacement is Daniel James, so it's not a like for like. And Patrick Bamford, I'm not saying he's worth what Messi was to Barcelona or Zaha was to Palace or Grealish to Villa. They're like point four of goal adjustments. Yeah. But that point two on Bamford's conservative, but let's just go with it for the moment. And then if you look at their centre-back issues, they're missing Cooper. Now, centre-backs I don't adjust as much, but when you're missing Cooper and then two replacements and Cock and Strook and you're maybe having to bring Ailing in, whatever adjustment you made for Cooper is compounded by the fact that the direct replacement is missing. So Van Dijk is the benchmark in terms of a centre-back. You're talking about a quarter of a goal there. But let's say another 0.1 of a goal. So if we add those up, 0.1, 0.1, 0.2, that's your 0.4. That's the Leeds home advantage completely wiped out. And we're gone from that 13 to 8 back into that 6 to 5, 11 to 10. But what I'll say to you is, those are my conservative estimates. The listeners to the pod can make their own judgments. If we think we've been conservative on that, 
then you know that 11 to 10 on Arsenal is a little bit big and that's why you'd arrive at Arsenal on that. Uh, last point I'll just make is I will be defensive of Bielsa. If you look at their last six games, their record is identical to Palace and West Ham, whose narratives are very different to what Leeds are at the moment. Last six games, won one, drew two, lost three. Also, very important is those injuries. You, the manager can only put out what he can on the field. And if you look at Leeds' XG performance versus closing prices over the last six games, they're performing as expected. So if we take the Man City game, Man City are 1-7 to win that match. The supremacy is about two and three quarters of a goal. Man City should win that by the win the XG by a little bit more over three. So Leeds have underperformed by a quarter of a goal there based on the closing price, where it's a very eye-catching 7-0. But like I say, if you apply that to the last six games, Leeds are about break-even for what they can get out on the pitch. Now, as Mark alluded to, the playing style and the ass that Bielsa puts on them and the small squad is self-inflicted. But Leeds are performing as as you would expect. And if those players come back, as Mark has said, then I wouldn't have concerns over them in terms of a relegation. But for this weekend, if you agree with that thinking and logic, you can see why that 11 to 10 Arsenal catches the eye. Beautifully explained as always. If you're thinking, by the way, of putting on a bet builder or something along those lines this weekend in any of the games, it's worth bearing in mind that our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. The rise of the Omicron variant, which is a virus, not a Transformers sequel, is understandably affecting every facet of society. And the Premier League is not immune from that. Brentford's game with Manchester United was postponed in midweek. In theory, Stinch, they face Southampton. So if they do, how are we looking at this one? Yeah, Southampton are priced up at evens and I been quite happy to oppose Southampton um, recently due to their injury issues in both boxes. It's very difficult to quantify virus issues because just that, that news just isn't readily available a lot of the time and recovery times differ massively. So I think you can maybe be clever and just wait for team lineups an hour before kickoff in some instances just to be sure that you know who is who is playing and who is available but for Southampton we know for a fact both goalkeepers are out and got 40 year old Willie Caballero in goal not saying he's a bad goalkeeper but it's not as if he's been at Southampton a while to you know have a um camaraderie with the defence and the and the lineup and where he wants his back four and you know set pieces etc stuff like that and then you've got problems in attack with Che Adams and, and both Armstrongs missing hypothetically Brentford should have Ivan Tony, Sergi Canos and Ethan Pinnock back but then this morning uh, as we speak on Thursday uh, Thomas Frank has come out and said 13, I don't know if it's 13 players or 13 um, members of I staff. Think it's total of players and staff at the moment, isn't it? So again, it's compl- it's so difficult to quantify. So we'll, we'll speak hypothetically as if as if Brentford have got <clears throat> half a decent team and Ivan Tony and Buemo, Canos, Pinnock are playing. So we'll speak in that, in that mark. Yeah, so Southampton are evens. How many games do you think Southampton have won this season, Kev? Oh, now you're asking. I'm going to say three. I should Correct. probably know this. Okay. <laughs> but three out of 17, that's that's quite poor, isn't it? For a team chalked up at evens. Yeah. So, yeah. So, with that, adding their injury issues, quite happy to oppose them. I mean, those three wins all came all 1-0. 
So one, the last one was against Villa, which was Dean Smith's last game in charge. Another one was against our mate Ranieri, who's lost eight of his <laughs> ten games. And then the other one was against Leeds, and Leeds were without Bamford, Phillips, and Ailing, and, and the lads have given a, a good overview on Leeds' issues. One thing I will say on Leeds just quickly is uh, I really like uh, Gellhart. Um, yes, so do the, I. So the, do I. The, um, the scouts... Got some snippet of information a few years ago that the the scouts at Wigan um, were, were massive, massive fans of him. So uh, yeah, keep on an eye on him long term. It's good to see him getting some uh, getting some minutes, and yeah, he's making some key contributions. So yeah, I, w- I would potentially like to see him start to be honest, instead of say Tyler Roberts or somebody, and see see what he can do from the beginning. Um, but yeah, anyway, in Southampton's the twelve games that they've uh, they've not won in. Um, Sorry, they haven't won in any of the 12 they conceded in. So that's a, that's a huge issue. You know, as soon as they concede, very unlikely they're going to win the game based on how they've gone this season. They're the fifth lowest scorers in the league and five of their goals have come from Adams and Armstrong who are both going to be missing. Brentford have um, got back on track a little bit of late, just one defeat in five and, and their underlying numbers for a, for a team's first season in the Premier League all really, really good. So they're seventh for expected goals for. They've got the sixth best defence in terms of expected goals against and, you know, in terms of expected points, puts them seventh in the league. So, yeah, without without getting into the difficulties in who's actually available based on, you know, um, what's, what's happening day to day. In terms of injury issues, very happy to oppose Southampton at the price. So yeah, I'm going to lay Southampton around about 2.16 on the exchange. So in a sort of fractional, you're sort of getting around about a five to six shot. That makes a lot of sense. Now, do you feel an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Then let Dimitar Varbatov know. He's called Dimitar Berbatov, but we've used VAR to call him Dimitar Varbatov's wonderful stuff. Uh, let Dimitar Varbatov know and you could get your bet paid out. Uh, send any examples over the next few days to at Betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. He's been very busy with this in the last days and weeks. Time to dip into the EFL. Mark, you want to look at a glamour tie between Bolton and Wickham. I do, yes. Um, I think um, there's a reason to, to oppose Bolton, I believe, this weekend. Uh, I think they're a little bit too short in a difficult game for them. Um, they've returned just two wins since early October in League One, two wins from 11, and both wins came against the bottom two, Doncaster and Crewe. And their record against the top 10 in League One reads one win, one draw, and eight defeats. Uh, now, the majority of those matches did take place away from home, and they have been struggling with a load of injuries as well, um, affecting both boxes effectively and uh, I just think they're quite vulnerable here they've failed to score in seven of their last 15 across all competitions uh, they're missing a midfielder called Josh Sheehan who's uh, a wonderfully uh, gifted and a neat and tidy midfielder who's got a really good eye for a pass and they've been lacking that kind of invention and creativity in recent weeks and they definitely do seem to fall short in that regard when playing against the, the league's elite but defensively too just two clean sheets since early September and they're playing a Wickham team who have scored in 18 of 20 two games 
since returning to League One level. They scored twice or more in 13 of 17 when you exclude the top five. They've only lost four league games all season. Uh, look at their results against teams in 10th and below. 11 wins, four draws and one defeat. And Bolton are sitting in 15th at the moment. Um, now, the market is quite nice, quite warm towards Bolton in recent weeks because uh, their data has always been pretty decent. They're certainly in the top six, top eight in terms of expected points alongside Wickham. Uh, and their performances recently have probably deserved a bit more than, than what they've got but that's because their, their finishing has been really poor and they're giving away really easy goals as well. But basically, it's a, a fascinating clash of styles here. We've got Ian Everts' team who prefer pretty possession-based football uh, against Gareth Ainsworth, Wickham, who are much more rock and roll, like to get the ball forward quickly, physical, ugly, do the dirty work really well. So... Um, I think Wickham plus a quarter at around 176 is a great bet uh, from the Football League. As I say, they've scored an 18 of 22. Wicker, uh, Bolton, just two clean sheets since early September. Really poor record against the bigger teams in the league. Really poor recent run. Uh, there, is, there is some injuries, a bit of illness in Wickham's camp, but they've had a, a rare midweek off, uh, so they should be really recovered and ready to go again. So uh, they're up in fourth at the moment and certainly one of the real contenders for promotion again this season. I just think they've been a little bit underrated. Well, let's scramble back up the league ladder and head to the capital because wobbling West Ham up against Norwich. Just one win in the last six Premier League games for the Hammers. Jason, what's been really interesting, I think, listening to David Moyes is that there's been a running theme where he hasn't made excuses for his players. He has simply said, we just aren't playing anywhere near as well as we can. Yeah, no, I appreciate honesty from managers like, you know, Football fans that listen in, like we know when it's a you're just giving a token response, and actually really re- liked his response to Soufal's tackle last night um, against yeah. Arsenal on the penalty. He was said, right, why hasn't he gone different to nudge it, or he's just misjudged it? The way he's tackled isn't wrong. He just needs to lower his leg another inch there, and he takes the ball fully, and then the man falls over both, and it's fine. Um, so appreciate that honesty from David Moyes. Um, for me, what's what's caught my eye here is just the West Ham price. Um, they're about 1.4 to back uh, obviously a little bit bigger to lay on the exchange and I'm tempted to lay on the exchange now Norwich obviously have injury and COVID issues at the moment so this might sound like well why are you looking to lay West Ham but I'll give you a bit of context as to why um, so first and foremost West Ham's home record their XGD per 90 for 8 games small sample size is about 0.4 of a goal so like you know their, their performance what a team playing at home should be if they're played an average level of opposition now in that run they've obviously beaten Chelsea and Liverpool 3-2 on both occasions which indicates to me they're set up well to attack and counter-attack against these teams they're not good enough to keep them out but they're good enough to go and get a few goals themselves but if you look at the games against say Brentford and Palace they fail to win those games at home and that's where you're starting to pitch this game against Norwich more so against also against Palace and Brentford, they opened at shorter prices and drifted. So Palace were about 155, went off 1.61. Brentford were 1.64 and drifted to 1.78. You look into it and it wasn't team news. It wasn't that Antonio was missing for those games. Like he was on the pitch come kickoff. Maybe the market was a little bit late to acknowledge how good Brentford and Palace were. But what I'm saying there is West Ham have shown here a tendency to open up a bit short and drift come kickoff. Hence why we're saying there's a bit of value. Um, the other thing as well I'll give you a quiz question when was the last time West Ham were 1.4 at home to win a game oh wow three years ago 
be honest, I don't know, Kev. I'm a busy man. I had to do the Christmas shopping. But what I will tell you is I had a look at the last five leagues seasons of data and the shortest they've gone off is 1.58 at home to Huddersfield. That was a couple of years ago. That's over the last five years. And in that game, they've actually they won it 4-3 in the end, but they were losing 3-2 with like 10 minutes to go and managed to pull it out of the bag. So West Ham had never gone off this short. So, right, we're saying West Ham are short, but what are Norwich going to put on the pitch? When you're pricing up Norwich, I'll be honest, they're impossible to price because Dean Smith doesn't know his best 11. I don't know his best 11. So how am I meant to adjust for what's missing? But all we need Norwich to do is put out an 11 that can defend and contain West Ham. And maybe you could look to hedge out with this, maybe cash out with this, say come half time. That's all you'd be looking at. It's a lay to get out at some stage. Norwich, no matter what 11 they put out, I know with COVID and injuries, this could actually work in their favour because Dean Smith is probably searching for a formula, searching for something to click and happen. And potentially this could happen for Norwich. So I'm looking to lay it. And then at this stage, when you're a gut feeling like this, you're looking at the little factors just to see, okay, will we push the button on this? If you look at the last seven days, your Norwich actually have benefited from where the fixtures have fallen. They've played Saturday, Tuesday, whereas West Ham have gone Sunday, Wednesday. So those tiny little things as well, going favour so I just can't see West Ham provided Norwich can get 11 professional footballers on the pitch and coached and organised by Dean Smith I just can't have West Ham at this price and therefore the the tip here is, is to lay now and let's see what happens come kick off Maybe Norwich could pick uh, Josh Sargent in attack and West Ham will be so distracted by how bad he is uh, that that might help Norwich over the course <laughs> of the game. Um, sometimes we let Mark O'Hare off the leash so he can bring you some wonderful betting content from around the continent. Mark, you have one pick from Scotland and you have another from Switzerland. The floor is yours. Well, both in, both in the same run. Okay. Yes, let's um, do this. Let's give the people what they want. Starting Scotland in, in League Two, uh, the glamour there. But um, Kelty Hearts are going to win Scotland's League Two. They were the anti-post favourites. Of course they are. Uh, 40 to 1 on to win the title. Um, they are newly promoted, but they've got a bigger budget than anyone else in the league. Uh, probably supersedes most of the teams in the league above, actually. Um, and yeah, they've dropped points just three times this season. They lead the league by seven points. They're unbeaten in nine. They've won the last eight, um, plus 23 goal difference, a shot ratio around 68%, giving up just two shots on target per game. Um, basically, they're in a league of their own, and you can get them at 176 on the exchange to win away at Stranraer on Saturday. Much, much too big. They'll go off much, much shorter than that. It's the, the biggest price they've been this season since the, the opening away game of the campaign, which is notoriously difficult in Scotland to try and get a handle on these two te- on these teams to, to know how good they actually are. So in the first three, four weeks of a, of a season in Scotland, you get some wild prices about some really good teams and some really bad teams too. But um, Kelty are averaging 2.67 goals per game away from home. Their front two are good enough to probably play in the top two leagues in Scotland um, and they're in great form as well. So they're playing a Stranraer team who on paper look like they're in decent form. They've won the last three, uh, but the opposition has been really sort of below par. And actually their only wins this season have come against the bottom four in League Two. They were knocked out of the league uh, of, the, of the Scottish Cup by non-league opposition at home and they've lost all their games against the top five they've placed so far this season. So just four clean sheets and 16 for them their shot ratio figures rank them 
right back in mid-table in Scotland. So uh, Kelty will go off much shorter than they are at the moment, and they are a good bet to win away at Stranra. Um, Switzerland, I might have yeah. to stop the show so I can go and have a bet myself. That sounds wonderful, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I mean, even on the uh, sportsbook, they're, they're 7 to 10, which is, again, much too big. So, um, yeah, so plenty of options there. But, uh, yes, Zurich against, say, Gallen. Have I pronounced that correct, Kev? You know, uh, Zant Gallen, yes. Zant yes. Gallen, yeah. Um, Zurich, we talked, touched on them a few weeks ago. They are top in Switzerland in the Super League. A five-game winning streak now. Uh, they were helped by young boys and Basel playing out a draw in midweek as well. So they've continued to establish their, their lead and they will be league leaders for the winter break. They're unbeaten domestically since September. They scored 40 goals in 17 league games. They're the top scorers in the league. Just going great guns under uh, Andre Brighton-Reiter. Um, and yeah, I expect them to, to get the job done um, against St. Gallen because they're, they're two point, sorry, two, they're 1.95 at home, uh, which is a, a really big price. Uh, they've won 11 games from 17, six from eight unbeaten at home, scored 22 in those eight home games. They've won the non-penalty expected goals count in seven of those eight home games and 13 of their 17 overall. Now, St. Gallen are 21 points adrift to Zurich. They're just above the relegation playoff place. Lost nine of 17, including six of eight away. They did draw three all with Zurich back in August at home, but they were very fortunate to get a point in that game. The stats, the XG, everything suggested they should have lost. They've since lost eight of 12 in the Super League, managed one clean sheet all season, concede over two goals per game on average away from home. Uh, the XG is pretty poor against them as well. So yeah, I just can't see Zurich going off at 1.95 come kickoff time. So you've got the league leaders against the relegation scrappers there at home, almost even money. That was tremendous. You see, when he's excited, I'm excited. Lovely stuff. Uh, Stinch, let's have a look at the Bundesliga. Six points between Bayern and Dortmund in the title race, in inverted commas. Uh, Dortmund odds on favourites to win at Hertha this weekend. But even though Marco Rose's men beat Greuther 4-3-0 in midweek, they were rubbish. I mean, not to use too analytical a term, but wow, they were <laughs> really very poor. And... They don't look right at all. There were players arguing with each other and just a general kind of sense of ennui. It's not actually looking great for Dortmund at the moment. Yeah, I guess in the context of the season, very disappointing to go out of the Champions League. I mean, to be eliminated um, after, I think it was four games or five games. Um, so not even to get to the, the final uh, game. And obviously they were favourites to to win the group, let alone uh, not even get out. So that's obviously very disappointing. Uh, and they won six- the first two games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, six points back, as you say, on Bayern. I guess that's not really unheard of. I knew, knew how much of a juggernaut Bayern are. And arguably, you know, for one or two referee decisions in the Classica, you know, that six points is actually four points. So, um, you know, Marco Rosa is, is a, you know, is still a young, youngish manager, a lot of youngish Dortmund players. So, Maybe we should judge them on the, the the season as a whole. And although to be in fair fairness, obviously Holland's probably going to go at the end of the season. So then they need to try and find a replacement there. Um, maybe they need to get out of this, you know, buying low and selling high, and actually keep these players and and go and win something. I don't know. Um, but one thing I do know is this: this is a bit of a mismatch, I think, in terms of attacking ability. Uh, Dortmund four to seven against Hertha and I'd say against on ability alone you know they should win against a, what is a struggling Hertha I mean after all this is the second best attack in the league after Bayern with 39 goals scored against the second worst defence after obviously Furt with 33 goals conceded so 
Don't think it's too far-fetched that I'm going to suggest that her to win the game. But the play I'm proposing is Dortmund to win and both teams to score at 19-10. to 10. I think it's a really, really nice way to get that 4-7 to seven onside. Nine of uh, Marco Rosa's 11 wins uh, in the Bundesliga have been via win and both teams to score. And if you actually go to the back end of last season, 14 of the last 18 wins have been win and both teams to score. So I think we all know from watching Dortmund, this is how they play. You know, they are all out attacking and they will give the opposition chances to, to get consolation on the score sheet, etc. Um, and, you know, defensively, we know they're not fantastic on, on numbers alone. I mean, actually, second bottom Bielefeld have conceded fewer goals than Dortmund. And Manuel Akanji is also out injured, which yeah. probably probably says their best centre back. Maybe you, you might know better than me, Kev. Yeah, um, no, I think that's a fair shout. I think one that's of a fair their shout. Best anyway, um, Herter under new boss uh, Typhon Corkett, which I probably butchered the name there. No, so no, apologies. no, Typhon Corkett. <laughs> yeah, very good. Cheers. And um, so he's only been in charge of three matches. Can't really read too much into into those, but they have scored four Herter. Um, but they've conceded six goals to Stuttgart and Mainz. So, <clears throat> again, I don't think I'm suggesting anything too mad that Dortmund are going to outscore Hertha here. Um, don't think he's going to last very long, Corker. He hasn't lasted longer than six months in his last three jobs at Stuttgart, Leverkusen and, and Kaiserslautern. So, long term, I'm not going to suggest he is the answer. And, yeah, I think Dortmund will, will go there and, and win. And I think it's just more about whether Hertha can, can get on the, on the scoreline. If Typhoon Korkut's the answer, we are asking the wrong questions. Mark, <laughs> uh, you have a pick from the Bundesliga as well. Yeah, I've had to adapt it this morning because the price has been gobbled up, unfortunately. But uh, it was a goals-based bet on uh, Hoffenheim against Gladbach. Uh, the Bundesliga has overtaken Italy as being the highest-scoring league in Europe. Uh, a few Mainly because wins. of Gladbach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so a, few, a few big wins and a few shootouts, but both of which apply to Gladbach. Um, yeah, we're running at sort of 3.15 goals per game now in Germany. 40% of the games featuring four or more goals. 61% seeing both teams scoring. It's been good fun. Uh, Hoffenheim and Gladbach have played their parts. Um, I'll start on Hoffenheim, 3.69 goals per game. Um, you know, midweek just showed what they're all about, really. Trading 2-0 at the Bay Arena to come back and, and get a 2-2 draw against Leverkusen. Really impressive stuff. Uh, that's now 10 of 16 games that have gone over three and a half goals. They scored twice or more in 11 of those and conceded twice or more in nine of those. Um, we've had six. We've had a 6-3, uh, a 5-0, 2-4-0s, 2-3-2s, 2-2-2s, 2-3-1s. Um, it's been really quite wild following Hoffenheim this season but more often than not in Sinshine they've been really strong uh, expect them to put on decent display this weekend uh, against the Gladbach team who uh, I heard your wonderful commentary on this midweek Kev against Frank oh Burst. super um, what a game that work. was Great fun. It was terrific fun. Uh, unfortunately for, for Gladbach, it uh, extends the losing streak. Uh, four defeats on the spin, 17 goals conceded. Uh, includes that 6-0 thumping at home to Freiburg, one of the worst in the club's history. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were beaten 3-2 at home by Frankfurt in midweek, which was kind of embarrassing considering the, the big fee they paid for Adi Hütter and it came from Frankfurt. But uh, defensively, they just look like a shambles now for quite some time. 
two clean sheets all season. They've lost six of eight away games. Um, but I do think they've got enough firepower in the squad to at least cause teams problems, particularly in an open game, which I'm expecting this game to be, considering how both teams tend to apply themselves, particularly Hoffenheim. So half of their away games, Gladbach have featured four or more goals. So the bet was over two and a half goals in BTTS, uh, around 175. You could have got over two and three quarter goals at just shy of 1.8. But uh, I'm going to adapt it now and just back Hoffenheim double chance and over two and a half goals, which comes in at 2.1 on the bet builder on the sportsbook, which really does appeal. That's a tremendous bet. Uh, I think that may feature in my weekly column this weekend, <laughs> which you can read on betting.betfair.com. I'm going to play the betting magpie there. Uh, now it's time for the world famous podcast treble, a betting feature so popular that EastEnders legend Letitia Dean wanted her character Sharon to play the podcast treble in the Christmas special, only for Adam Woodyass, who plays Ian Beale, to declare there'll be no betting on Albert Square, not while I'm alive and kicking. Uh, just so you know, for the lawyers, none of that actually happened. Uh, how this works is all three of the guys uh, have a selection each, and lovely traders like Jason wrap them up in a boosted treble. Who shall I start with? Who looks eager to take this bet on? Jason, he's got his hand up. He was quickest. Jason, what are you going for? Um, well, first of all, I just uh, given the week that's in is um, the best tip or advice I'd give anyone is just in relation to COVID, wear a mask, wear your gloves. I'd never tell anyone to do anything, but always ask them to just reconsider. Any listeners to this show fully understand risks and probabilities I've worked in intensive care for six years in a previous job. I know what's on the other side of it if things go wrong, and we really hope it doesn't go wrong. But anyone that's listening, I'd never tell them to do it. But just consider, if you haven't got a vaccine, consider getting it. If you've got one already, consider getting your second one. And if you've got your second one and you haven't gone for the third dose yet, then consider that. That's that's the best tip I'd give this weekend. But anyone that's listened to the earlier part of the show, um, the bet I'd put in is Arsenal to win this weekend. And I know producer Dan is a Spurs fan, but someone's actually moved in the Arsenal price since I was talking. So I'm not sure who that was, but Arsenal have, have shortened a bit there, but uh, very happy to put them into the treble this weekend. Sage advice indeed. Stinch, I'm going to go for you next. I'm going to go for, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Everton v Leicester over 2.5 goals at around 10 to 11. So it's chalked up as the outsider of the two and can't get on board with that when Leicester's games are just crazy. 24 of the last 31 have gone over two and a half goals. So you've got a strike rate there of over 75%. And we're looking at odds of sort of around you know, 55%. And Everton's games are averaging three goals per game. So it looks quite nice to me. Lovely stuff. And we're going to talk about that more, actually, on our Sunday show. We do, of course, split the show into two pieces these days. Uh, Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, slim pickings now. Um, I'm going to go Wolves plus two handicap against Chelsea, which means if they lose by one goal, draw or beat Chelsea at Molyneux on Sunday, we'll get a winner. Uh, Wolves haven't conceded three or more goals at all in the Premier League so far this season. They've been defensively really resilient and really sound, gave Liverpool and Man City really difficult ties recently. So I expect them to give Chelsea uh, a bit of a match this weekend, Raul Jimenez back from suspension, uh, which will offset the, the loss of Wang to injury. So Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's midfield has been a little bit overrun recently, so um, they need a bit of a turnaround quickly. So I think it's a difficult game for them, and I think Wolves can keep it competitive. 
Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Plenty of other shows to keep an eye on. Apparently, there's some cricket going on at the moment, so you might want to check out Cricket Only Better. There's NFL Only Better as well as we speed towards uh, the playoffs. They won't be that far away. Uh, also, a couple of racing shows as well. We've got the Wade In podcast and Racing Only Better. Check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing or simply go to betfair.com from Jason, from Mark, from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.